You're listening to Experts in Their Field, a podcast from the Agricultural Science Association, generously sponsored by Dairy Gold Agribusiness. Hello, my name is George Ramswatham and I'm the president of the Agricultural Science Association. In this episode of Experts in Their Field, Dale Cramond, council member and Department of Agriculture official, is joined by Amy McKeever. Amy, who is a past president of our association, is the current editor of the Country Living section of the Irish Farmers Journal. In her interview, Amy documents her career through the industry following her graduation in agriculture in 2002. She argues passionately for opportunity and parity of esteem for women in agriculture and emphasises the importance of education in giving people the opportunity to progress. We wish Amy and her family every success for the future. Good afternoon. Uh, hi, Amy. Um, great to be with you today to, to, to chat about your career to date and, and, and possibly some advice you might have for, for agricultural graduates that uh, you know are coming through the system at the moment. Um, I suppose we can get straight into it. Uh, let's start with your career path. Uh, from your decision to study agricultural science, Amy, um, where the jobs you've had uh, and how you've ended up in, in your current role as editor of the Irish Farmers Journal Country Living magazine. Uh, thanks, Dale. Delighted to be here, suffering from a, a small bit of imposter syndrome, considering the, the people that have come before me, but I'll do my best, hopefully, to, uh, to that we'll have a good podcast. Um, in terms of my career, I grew up on a mixed farm in Kilkenny. Uh, we had butchers, beef and sheep for slaughter and dairy cows. We got out of cows, closed the butchers when my grandfather's hired and the land now was planted or rented. Um, and we I do live there, planted, built a house there in 2011. And I've been explaining this all my, my whole life, so I may keep at it. I live on the farm in Kilkenny, but continue to support Tipperary, having sided early on with my father. Um, but ultimately, the farm is my mother's. Um, in terms of how I ended up as editor of Irish Country Living, my career, like many, was a series of events and circumstances, one leading from the last, some which at the time appeared unfortunate, but turned out to be quite fortuitous. Now, what's far you won't pass you and all that. Um, I went to school in the convent of No Mercy in Callan, and I won't lie, I was the most, not the most dedicated student, uh, probably more interested in going racing or the sales and studying um, at that time in my life. And my mother applied for several apprenticeships for me during my leave and cert cycle. Uh, she thought I probably would be more suited to an applied career. Um, the farm was, I was interested, but the farm was not coming my way. And um, I kind of thought I wanted to have a career outside of an office environment at the time. My sister was doing food and ag engineering in UCD, and I had a friend doing ag science um, in UCD as well. So before the CAO was completed, I traveled up to Dublin, visited the campus, and we'll call it, we'll say that that visit was for research and development purposes. But uh, just having a look around, I, I realized that that was what, that was the course I wanted to do. My mind was made up. I was going to be an ag. I don't like being told I can't do something. Uh, that probably makes me more adamant. And um, so that's what I did then. I, I went to UCD to do ag science in 1999. Yeah. Um, I graduated from UCD uh, with a degree in animal science in 2003 and went from there to Moore Park on a Walsh Fellowship to do a research master's in pigs. Uh, I suppose, like, as I said, we didn't have pigs at home. We had a few pigs growing up, uh, but I knew nothing about the commercial side of that industry. And it was only on my work experience that my interest in that sector was stoked. And you asked me for some advice, I said, you know what I mean, for students. I suppose that element of the degree is so important, that work experience. 
And I do always advise students when I'm talking to them to make sure and do the enterprises that they don't have at home. As you often get the greatest learning in something that you think that you don't know anything about. Um, with the masters that I got, I, I think I was very lucky. Um, first, the fact that I got a Walsh Fellowship, that made it financially possible for me to do a master's as being number two of six in my family. Uh, I had pretty much exhausted the bank of Mammy after four years in Dublin. And uh, a lot of great people in our sector have gone through that scholarship. And it really is a great thing to have in the industry uh, that people can go on and get that extra um, education. This master's also put me out on farms, so it wasn't completely lab based, even though it was research. And but I got out on farms interacting and networking with farmers. And that was an experience that really served me well throughout my career. And, you know, kind of, I suppose, really brought home to me the importance of having a network and being able to talk to people. And um, it, then it, it did that as well, helped me secure a job in the Irish Farmers Association, which um, I, I'll, I'll come to. But um, before before that, at the end of my ma master's, I traveled a bit, went to New Zealand and Australia. And the plan was that if I didn't get a good job, um, I would have gone back to New Zealand uh, where I was promised a job. But um, and that that could have been a very different life, but it didn't. Um, on my return, I applied for a PhD and I didn't get that, um, which is one of those, I suppose, fortuitous failings I mentioned. Um, instead, I got a job as an equine science lecturer in a land based college uh, similar to a Chagas College in the north of England, which was um, affiliated with the University of Central Lancashire. And I really liked teaching. Um, it was a great, it was a great experience, but I realized pretty quickly that I wasn't going to progress in the academic world without that PhD. So on my Easter holidays, I went back into my master's supervisor, John O'Doherty, um, who was the, the pigs a swine lecturer in UCD. And I wanted to talk to him about the options. And instead of a PhD, he sent me down a very different route. He asked me, do I know, uh, do you know who Michael Berkeley is? And uh, Michael, of course, was the general secretary of the Irish Farmers Association at the time. So I went in to meet him. And by the end of July of that year, I found myself uh, in the farm centre as the executive of the Na IFA National Pigs and Pygmy Committee and the National Poultry Committee. And on one hell of a steep learning curve. Uh, so went from writing lectures to writing policy and lobbying politicians. We negotiated with supermarkets and factories and mills and everybody in between. And then also got uh, great opportunities to travel to Brussels every couple of weeks to, to represent pig and poultry farmers interests in the commission. Um, over the course of my time there, there was a dioxin crisis, pig meat taken off the shelves. We secured a compensation pack, uh, package for the impacted farmers. We also, you know, kind of had to do a whole promotional campaign to put consumer confidence back in the product. Campaign after campaign, and I used the word tentatively, uh, we encouraged retailers to procure larger volumes of quality assured Irish pig and poultry meat um, to get better, more shelf space. And myself and the now president of IFA, actually, Tim Cullinan, he was my chairman at the time, uh, we developed a bespoke DNA traceability program for the Irish pig herd um, to support this because there was a lot of ambiguous labelling on shop shelves. And this was a big concern for farmers and consumers. And we kept going at that then. And uh, eventually, country of origin labelling was also introduced after a lot of lobbying at EU level. Um, I stayed in contact with my colleagues down in Chagas and I was involved in the formation of a joint programme between Irish pig producers and Chagas and that made sure that the state advisory and research service uh, continued for pig production in the country. We had the nitrates regulations um, and, you know, we were always talking about slurry uh, negotiations with the EPA. It was really full on, it was a fantastic experience. 
Um, I think the value of slurry as a fertilizer, uh, we quantified that at the time and promoted it. It's great stuff. I suppose that's that's completely relevant even to today now, especially today with the price of fertilizer. Um, so that was that was I suppose kind of a, a synopsis of of my ten years in IFA. We did um, we did a, it was a it was a it was a great time. Um, but after ten years, I moved from there to the corporate affairs team in Glanby at PLC. And that was an exciting time also, because uh, it was at the time that uh, the organization that Glambia PLC and um, Glambia Ireland was being formed. Uh, so we had the big vote um, in Punchestown. It was very, and it was again, another huge learning curve for me um, to get into the, the corporate world. And um, from there then I moved to my current role as editor of Irish Country Living, which um, I think most people, I'd like to think most people recognize as the weekly magazine contained in the Irish Farmers Journal. So there's a whistle, a whistle stop tour through my, uh, my, 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 my jobs up to now. Fantastic, Amy. And you just admitted one thing, and that was coming in and giving Department of Agriculture officials a hard time around the nitrates directive. And it was just when I was asked to do this, I realised I realized that we know each other quite a long time at this stage, yeah. because that's that's not today or yesterday. Absolutely not. Sure, like, um, I think the, the, the first one came in, in, in the, the nitrates came in 2005. 2007 we were looking for those transitional arrangements and and we kept on negotiating on that right up until I left 2017 um yeah so I and I I remember you Dale and I don't think it was a hard time I think you were giving us a hard time as well <laughs> uh, it's a good a good relationship that uh that, that uh, supports farmers I'd like to think anyway that's for sure that's for sure um just on the, the Irish Farmers Journal obviously where you're working with at the moment like it continues to go from strength to strength Amy, why do you think it plays such an important role in the lives of farmers and the wider agricultural industry? I think like most people, um, well, most people in the agri-sector, obviously, I grew up with the Farmer's Journal in the house. Uh, the majority of my generation and the generations that came before me did. The media landscape, however, though, has changed dramatically in recent years. The internet is a powerful disruptor. Um, traditional newspapers are facing new and increased pressures but this disruption like I, I i do believe that disruption is important in terms of how companies evolve and in terms of why we've gone from strength to strength i think that that we have continuously done that and evolved like a, for example like when covid hit back in in march um 2020 we didn't know what to expect um we didn't know like we, we had no idea like like most other businesses but instead of dipping sales of the irish farmers journal actually starts to climb so shop closures would have been a massive issue for us because that's where the bulk of our sales are. But that didn't materialize and readers drove circulation back up to previous highs. And I remember Justin McCarthy, our CEO, saying at the time, some businesses let the crisis manage them and some businesses roll up their sleeves and manage the crisis. And that's what we did. We took an active response and kept putting a quality product on the shelves every week, stayed close to the reader paying attention to what they needed uh, because that was changing in, in, in like nobody knew what the situation was going to be. And we were rewarded with support from our readers. Uh, we didn't get it. We don't always get it right. There's no point in saying we do. Um, and some may disagree with the direction of the paper or the editorial. Personally, I welcome feedback from our readers. Um, that's that's how we're going to get better. That's how we improve. That's how we, we keep uh, meeting the needs of our readers. The Farmer's Journal also like there is an element of habitual purchase. Um, but that is, you know, there, uh, there's a reason for that because it remains a product with a stable page count. 
uh, with the content relevant to a wide swathe of, of, of readers. Um, so I suppose our latest audited figures show that we have 321,000 weekly readers with a 54% male to 47% female split and 40% of the readers are under 35. Um, and, you know, that youth as well is important. I think we all recognise that a strong underage team bodes well for uh, championships in, in later years. Um, uh, our sports writers often, often reminds me of that. We also have, though, under the Agricultural Trust, we also have another of, a number of other titles, the Irish Field and Irish Country Magazine. Um, Irish Country Magazine is our glossy on-shelf mag, and that readership soared as well during the pandemic, despite the loss of traditional avenues um, where that product would have been found, such as hotels. I suppose another thing is innovation. Um, that's a big part of the offering of the Agricultural Trust. You can't sit on your hands and wish things would go back to the way they were. Um, you know, we can't say, oh, wish it was like it was. I uh, can't do that in media no more than we can do it in farming. Um, consumer preference, brand loyalty, what people value, what they're willing to pay for, all of these things change continuously. Farming and farmers change too. The latter are actually, uh, in terms of farmers, probably not enough in terms of succession, but um, you know, that's a, a different conversation. But as a source of information, the Irish Farmers Journal the farmers, farming media in general, we have to innovate to meet the changing needs of farmers. As some of the examples of this innovation, the farm tech talks took off when everybody moved online. Um, the crisis also prompted the development of mark bids, the online, our online bid app. But the digital space is, is really important. We have a creative agency and traction for video production, visual design, digital content, and to be honest, we tried other things too, like um, a digital daily edition. That didn't, um, we didn't continue that. I don't let those kind of things though, kind of concern me too much. We, we've learned, I've learned in my career that failure is just really taking one thing off your list on the way to a success. It's how you use what you have learned from that failure that's important. Um, then of course, uh, last, what, what differentiates us from many other papers, we have farms too. And there isn't too many other media outlets that can have an open day uh, for their readers. That's fantastic. And I think there's some really good advice kind of within that, you know, in general. Um, just in terms of like the, the magazine, in terms of, you know, the Country Living magazine, uh, you recently, you know, won an award, uh, the News Brands Award, and beat off, you know, competition from a number of different kind of um, newspaper magazines. You know, can you tell our listeners a little bit about that? What differentiated you from the others that were nominated in the category? Uh, so uh, what can you say with just, I suppose there, there, was, there, was, there was an element of shock. Um, recognition is so important still. And that was, this, that was a really, really important recognition for us, particularly after the last two years. Uh, and it's uh, okay, I, like, no man is an island. Uh, it's a credit to my team for the way that they pivoted uh, to maintain the high standards we strive for each week. I asked them to, to, to come on board through the pandemic and they did that. And uh, this is a, a recognition of that. Trevor White, who was one of the judges when he announced it, described uh, the magazine Irish Country Living as having a handsome appearance. That's uh, a, a nod to our photographers, a quirky personality, uh, a nod to our journalists, compelling journalism, uh, again, uh, a recognition of my team and an obvious determination to broaden its own readership. All of those points are really important and I'm really proud of that description, but the last one has been my aim since I came here and I'm thrilled to see that recognised, um, that we have broadened the readership 
and hopefully we'll continue to have more and more people reading Irish Country Living. The journal can be a hard read sometimes, uh, the, the main paper. The news is often more bad than good, unfortunately. And even what is good for one farm can be bad for another in terms of policy or, or, or prices for product. And the past year has been particularly full of negative commentary about the industry in terms of the environment, with report after report filling the pages. So in Irish country living, now we don't shy away from that. And we acknowledge and advise um, about challenges on a business, social and rural front. But we do try for positivity, creativity and ideas generation and some humour as well. Um, and we're blessed, actually, that, that there is no shortage of people doing great things in agriculture to interview and learn from. Uh, you know, people often say to me, you know, how do you find you know, something to write about every week? It's not hard in this industry. The people are the people are there. Um, the ethos is to inform, educate and entertain. And I, I suppose I'm biased. Well, I suppose I'm, I'm actually totally biased, but I think Irish country living broadens the appeal of the Irish Farmers Journal. Beyond the farmer looking for technical information and news on their farm and enterprise. And it brings the paper as a as a product into the family home, um, something for everybody uh, from young to old or young to not so young, male and female. Um, That's fantastic. Just on that kind of, you know, you mentioned the split of the kind of the male and the female, um, you know, uh, readership that you have. Uh, I know women and agriculture is a topic that you're passionate about. Uh, I know it's it's something that's very important to us in the department as well. And um, for Minister McConnell and in the context of the new CAP, uh, the new, our new CAP strategic program will have a number of new supports, you know, for female farmers. Uh, can we talk about your work in that area or why, why is this so important for you? Yeah, I'm, I suppose it's, it's important to me. I, I am a woman. I am a woman in the industry. Uh, I, to, I, it is really important. And, and to frame the conversation with a few facts, the recently published 2021 report from Balance for Better Business uh, that, that this organized, voluntary organization sets out targets for gender diversity in Irish company. And it does show progress in female participation on both boards and leadership teams. And uh, you mentioned Minister McConnell and the CAP, and I think that there is work being done to, to actually strengthen it in agriculture, but it is a bit of a slow train. Um, so the average representation on boards is up from 18% in 2018 to 31% now. But the report does say that additional focus is required to build an internal pipeline of women from junior right up to senior levels. More needs to be done. Like there's still insufficient representation of women in executive director and senior leadership roles. And there are still a large number of Irish companies with no females on their boards. And I know that a lot of talk in agriculture is is moving towards, you know, kind of making sure that that isn't isn't the norm. And, you know, can we often talk about why to do this? And aside from the from balance in society, equality and diversity and inclusion, it makes business sense. Decision making, governance, business performance are all improved in companies with a better gender balance at all levels. And there is research to support this. Now, as it was from my point of view, achieving these benefits requires leadership commitment and targeted action. And this targeted action is often what divides people. And I think Minister McConnell would have seen that in terms of some of the feedback to some of the, the, um, the initiatives that he's introducing at the moment. So like I'm a woman in agriculture, I'm not farming, as like other women, that wasn't an option afforded to me. And I want that to change. I want more women farmers and I want more women CEOs and more female leaders in the agri-industry. And that's not just because I believe in gender diversity. I also believe it's important to the success of the food and agri-industry, which is where I work. 
um, gender balance in society is roughly 50-50. So by excluding women, businesses and agribusinesses are failing to harness the talent and the opinion and the, you know, the thought leadership and the potential of, of half the population. So I believe that we need to take targeted action to make, um, to make this a reality. And that's not, that might not be a popular view with some, male or female, but I'm not alone in this view. Um, I, get, I get to interview uh, in my job here, I've gotten to interview some really fantastic women in leadership positions. And I interviewed uh, Commissioner Mairead McGuinness last year, and I asked for her thoughts on gender mainstreaming and Ursula van der Leyen's unflinching request for both a woman and a man as a nominee for the Irish Commissioner replacement, which is now her role and how she felt about that. And Mairead said, and it stuck with me, that she admitted that when she was a teenager back in the 80s, that she didn't see a need for gender mainstreaming. And she believed that all women, that women would succeed on merit. But said that at 61, she knows that that has not been a reality. And without proactive policies in place, the gender issue will not be addressed. The success of targeted action um, I suppose can be evidence Ursula von der Leyen made a commitment to the European Parliament to strive for a gender balanced commission and she achieved that. The women are there if efforts are made to make sure their names are put on the selection list. I agree with Mairead. The balance has been firmly, unequally and purposely tipped in favour of the male gender for a very long time, from the marriage bar to continual patrilineal inheritance on farms in Ireland. Um, and look, there's many historical, cultural and social reasons for this, but that's not an excuse not to level the playing field now. It's never too late to, to start. Uh, the best time to plant a tree 20 years ago, second best time is now. Um, unfortunately, I just feel it's, it's not for, for this to happen. The scales have to be weighted in the opposite direction now for inequality equilibrium to be to be reached. Um, and this is not a women's problem. Men must play their part in gender equality to change that status quo that we have. And it's not just in business. I think that's important. Um, when women and girls are valued less than their male counterparts, they face challenges throughout their lives, be that at home, in school or at work. Um, and I think it's on everybody's mind. But gender based violence, um, you know, which, you know, Ashley Murphy's murder is still very, very much in the fore of, of, of our minds. And that gender-based violence is a consequence of gender inequality. Um, and I think that needs to be, that needs, that needs to be there as well. Um, women, women only discussion groups is something that um, is being supported under the new cap. And I suppose, uh, although we're not farming the majority of us, I'm a member of what, what is a, a women only discussion group for women in agribusiness, a support network called Ceres. Um, and we set that up a couple of years ago ourselves to mentor and support each other. Um, and that has been integral um, to building my confidence over time. Um, I put a lot of value on mentoring, but not all mentoring is, is created equally, I suppose. What women in this actually require is sponsorship, uh, kind of a more tangible, more tangible action. And this is going back to action again, than feedback or advice. It's when a mentor will use his or her influence to advocate for a woman's progression. Um, and research from Harvard shows that high potential women are often over mentored and under sponsored relative to their male peers. And this is limit limiting their advancement. Um, and uh, they'd be less likely to go for, uh, go for, for promotion um, under those circumstances. So like this is a targeted action that anyone can do and it will make a difference. Um, and, you know, it means a lot to me because I know and I acknowledge that I was fortunate in my career 
to have had a number of such sponsors, male and female, um, that actually spoke positively about me and helped me to, to move um, between roles. Just on, I do want to just mention briefly, I suppose a little bit about diversity at farm level and in farm politics. Um, so as I said, I worked in the IFA for 10 years um, and, you know, kind of, I've been involved in, in a, a diversity committee for them since I finished. And I always go back to, uh, and I've written about this for the paper since then, it was the first president of IFA or NFA at the time, Juan Green, he wanted to create an organization that brought together farmers from all sectors and all parts of the country. So getting all, getting this diversity of thought leadership and that diversity background enterprise talent led to really successful outcomes for farmers um, in terms of having a, 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 a united voice. And I, I believe that a continued pipeline of diverse voluntary officers coming through that organization is really important in terms of representing farmers' interests, because you need to know what the farmers that are coming through and all the time want and also you need to take on board the changes that are happening that we've already discussed um, but um, in my time working in IFA I actually never worked on a project directly with a female voluntary officer in all that time it was only after I left that I got this opportunity um, in 2018 uh, Joe Healy who was president at the time asked me to chair a committee for the organization to outline ways to attract diverse talent and to better reflect the membership so the committee I chaired, um, we met and we, we did up a report, made a number of recommendations. And these generated a lot of discussion and let's be honest, a lot of tension in IFA um, as they attempted to implement um, with some of the senior leaders and officers opposed to targeted actions to encourage new blood and new thought leaders into positions of influence. And, you know, change is difficult. Um, and uh, but I still hope that the current leadership will be able to gain support of the organization's governing body in due course to implement them, because I do, I do think that will be important to represent the diverse agricultural industry of farmers that we, we have in Ireland. There's no doubt that the industry is changing and it is becoming kind of more diversified and um, certainly a lot of food for thought there, Amy, you know, in, in your comments. And um, if I can bring it back just, I suppose, to the Agricultural Science Association. This is the, the ASA podcast. Um, yeah. You were president of the ASA recently. Um, what, what, what do you feel you brought to the association during your time as president? And, and, and why ultimately has the ASA been an important representative um, you know, body for you, in your view? Um, so I, um, I joined the ASA in college, joined the council in, um, I was co-opted onto the council actually as treasurer in 2007 um, uh, in absentia. Uh, there's a good lesson in that too, Dale. I turn up for the AGM. Uh, you never know what job you'll get. Um, I did my five-year stint and I also had a few years uh, in the wild off the council before rejoining council as vice president for, for Derry Dillon. But as an organization, since I joined, um, the, Agri the Agricultural Science Association has really gone from strength to strength. Um, and that's on the back of the presidents that, um, that have really built it up over the years. I think George is the 72nd president. I was the 69th anyway, the fourth woman of five after Elaine Farrell, Karina Pierce, Mary Delaney, Dr. Anne-Marie Butler uh, being the fifth uh, last year. 
And I'm truly honored to call each one of those women uh, a friend. And I suppose one of that's that's a really, really one thing about the ASA as well, the connections and the people that you meet. And uh, actually, some of the some of the, the male presidents did a good job too. I wouldn't like to say that uh, the, the women did a better job. You have job. to acknowledge that. <laughs> Had to acknowledge that, yeah. But I guess, well, since I joined, I've seen the level of active engagement that the ASA has with its members grow exponentially. Um, obviously, COVID had an impact in the last couple of years. Um, but over the last number of years, there has been a much larger number of events. And there's like events that each president will organize themselves that they're passionate about. And then there's you know the standard things that the organization does for graduates um, every year. But as well as that, the organization is also engaged in, in policy matters, contributing to the debate, and which can be difficult because you're representing such a wide, uh, varied, like people that go into such varied careers out of agriculture. And the views of our membership can be different depending on where they end up working. Um, so the role of the ASA is to support the professional interests of graduates, as we know, but um, and making sure that they're in a position to contribute. So for me personally, the theme of my year as ASA president was building capability. So I was very lucky while working in Glambia to complete their in-house leadership training program, um, which I thought was a really fantastic program. And some companies like Glambia have the capacity to deliver this type of training for their staff, but many uh, companies in the industry don't. Um, they don't have the, the, uh, the capacity, they don't have the, the, the resources to help uh, their, their staff progress like that. And um, I kind of, I suppose, I, I noticed this and I introduced the ASA Emerging Leaders Program. And the aim was to enhance the critical leadership skills and behaviors of professionals working in the agri-food sector. And that was really successful and I'm very proud of that. Another important that development that in my, during my year was the equivalency standards that were finalized. So the veracity of the degree program, our degree program, agricultural science, this is really important for both graduates and for employers. As many new agricultural science courses have developed over the last couple of years, and to ensure that the high standard of our graduate members continues to be respected across the industry, uh, the eligibility subcommittee, which was set up of the council, which is made up of experienced educators, um, drew up they drew up equivalency standards for a level eight honours degree in agricultural science, and this enabled us to welcome new members from new colleges. Um, to join and benefit from the organization. And, you know, there's a diversity in that as well, the experiences of people coming from different colleges um, to our events and the networking that, that comes out of that. And I suppose, uh, you know, it would be remiss uh, considering my interviewer yourself, Dale, when you were in your role as agricultural counselor at the Embassy of Ireland in Washington, you did all the heavy lifting on this. Uh, I can't actually claim any credit really, but it'd be entirely remiss for me not to say that our trip, our international study tour to Washington was a, was a highlight. And it, you know, not just for me, um, but for uh, the, the feedback from the, the, the group was absolutely fantastic. Policy is a real passion of mine, agricultural policy. And um, like, if you think about it, I know it's, it's three years ago. Um, and what we heard then, the chasm and the divergence of opinions between the EU and US on the use of science and technology in agriculture, that hasn't narrowed to any great extent. Now, it remains to be seen if Brexit and climate change and the other challenges that are coming at us will focus the mind. Um, but anyway, I think that conversation is for a different podcast. Uh, that also had the, the, the conference, actually, though, as well. My conference was the last live conference. And I'm yeah. looking forward that I, uh, I'll be listening to George's speech with a nice steak in black tie, hopefully, come September uh, 2022. 
I think we can all toast that, Amy. Uh, just just on that, you touched, you know, we've talked about the diversity issues. Uh, we've talked, and you mentioned there briefly, you know, about Brexit and climate. You know, what do you think, you know, are the big challenges going to face agriculture over the next 10 years? Is it, is it the climate challenge? So the environmental challenge, climate change, the impact of trade deals, the new cap, consumer ambivalence towards farming and food, weak profitability in one area or another is always there. The scale of the challenges is actually unprecedented, but it's actually people that will come up with the solutions. And I see the biggest challenge being people, skill sets, progression, succession. Lots of reports. Yeah, science, science, yeah. A lot of the reports that have come out, um, like FoodWise came out, and there's been a lot of reports since, but it did highlight human capital, the need for uh, to attract and retain and develop skill sets and talent along the supply chain. Um, it, it acknowledged that that was really important. And the agri-food sector makes a significant contribution to employment. Uh, that ensures, it ensures viability of rural areas, but actually recruiting people to our industry when in in today's world there there's actually a huge amount of very attractive opportunities for the best talent this is actually going to really challenge us um labor on farms is also a massive challenge like much like all things an injection of new ideas and new blood is important to ensure continued vibrancy in an industry we need to attract the best people and if we can't do that we're going to run into to problems in terms of you know, like you said, science, like, you know, science will help us to solve and to to, to meet the climate change um, challenge. But if we can't attract the best scientists into our industry, if they're going into uh, pharmaceuticals or somewhere else, um, you know, we're at we're at risk of falling behind. The same with farmers. Like um, when he was commissioner, I remember um, and he spoke at my conference that uh, Phil Hogan commented that young farmers uh, they're a catalyst for change and modernization and they'll translate they'll translate knowledge gained um, in the laboratory onto farms um, and that uh, you know emerging technologies that young farmers hold the key to improving Ireland's competitive edge um, I'm paraphrasing slightly but it was uh, along those lines um, for me I suppose I, 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 I completed a no-field scholarship back in 2011 and my project was uh, titled retail dominance, competition and consumer demand, the impact on meat protein producers. And suppose, you know, I was working in IFA at the time and I was looking at that was heavily involved in, in trying to, to make sure that Irish retailers supported Irish um, Irish products. But I did see the way the consumer was changing even at that and how, you know, consumer preference was 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 very changeable. And I saw that this was not just that's this wasn't an Irish problem or even a European problem. It was a global problem and that we needed to be able to evolve and change and um, move with the times in terms of what consumers want and as time has gone on many of the issues I looked at while studying this topic around the world they've actually grown in importance the perception of agriculture is continuously being challenged and promoting the positive message of agriculture is vital that's another big challenge you know to I mean that people people won't um, won't understand and won't support the industry that we work in the consumer is king, really, in all of this, as it is in a lot of industries. And, you know, and listening, to, listening to the consumers and what they want, because uh, if, if we don't do that, we're going to fail, clearly. Um, finally, Amy, you know, what advice would you give a young agricultural science graduate 
young agriculture science graduate that that's, that is is you know setting out into the, the big bad world uh, later this year okay um i i think you know kind of a uh, my undergraduate degree scroll is 18 years old um this uh this uh, at this point in time and i, I just started uh, an MBA part-time last year. Uh, it's in Trinity now, Dale, so don't tell any, any of my, my, my UCD colleagues. Just keep that to yourself. But uh, my advice is to keep learning and learning actively. Um, education is so important. It's, it, and that This is coming from year one now that uh, my mother didn't think I'd get through the Leaving Cert. Um, but education is vital for stability and a better career. Education plays a major role in the empowerment of women. And anyone that's in a situation of inequality in that it makes you confident to express your views and opinions. It plays a role in realizing your dreams. And not only will education give you that financial independence, I think this is really important in the, today's world. It also equips you to make better decisions uh, in terms of having an independence of mind. Um, in a world of fake news and you know, in the media, it's, it's something that we're all conscious of. You know, we're beset with misinformation, but an education can save people from being exploited or, or fooled. Uh, it's a, an independence of mind that'll serve you well. But education also doesn't have to be formal. Uh, keep an open mind, get a mentor, as I've said, make sure that that mentor will sponsor you when the, the opportunity arises. So I, 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 I've said this before when talking to people, but when I applied for my current job uh, in the journal here, I said to my friend, Sarah, an ag graduate herself, I said, I'm not sure about this. I said, I really don't know the first thing about journalism. And her response was, uh, sure, Amy, you haven't known the first thing about any job you've ever done and you've always been fine. So why break the habit of a lifetime? Um, this, I thought this was good advice. <laughs> you can be your own cheerleader um, or you can be your own antagonist. You know, an ag science degree will give you a plethora of options to go anywhere and do lots of different jobs. It's a matter of being brave, taking the chance, working hard to maximize um, all of your opportunities. And uh, of course, you know what I mean? If you're graduating, make sure and continue to buy the farmer's journal for all your um for all your educational needs <laughs> fantastic amy uh, with that with that bit of good advice i think we leave it there it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you um over the over the last while uh, and i wish you continued success in your career thank you very much thanks dale looking forward to seeing you at an asa event very soon in person hopefully absolutely take care bye-bye